Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Mark Eatonson. I'm a licensed psychologist and author specializing in the treatment of pathological narcissism and related issues. And just a quick content warning, today's episode deals with the difficult topic of suicide. Feel free to circle back to this one another time if you're feeling sensitive to that topic right now. So I also post my podcast on YouTube. And one listener requested that I discuss the idea of a false self. And I think that's a fantastic suggestion. I think the false self is really central to narcissistic pathology. Individuals with NPD have a lot in common with individuals who have borderline personality disorder. The underlying personality structure and vulnerabilities are often very similar. But I think one of the main differences, if not the main difference, is that narcissists have developed a false self that hides those vulnerabilities. So what is a false self? Well, the psychoanalyst and pediatrician Donald Winnicott coined the term to describe a particularly painful form of disconnect from authentic feelings that he saw in the children that he treated. These children were discouraged from feeling or expressing their true emotions by caregivers who exerted a kind of pervasive pressure on them to adapt to the caregiver's needs instead of the other way around. You know, uh, in some ways, parents are supposed to adapt to their children. They're supposed to set their own needs aside to prioritize the child's emotional growth and development. Winnicott noticed that some parents were incapable of doing this, that instead of seeing the world from their child's perspective, they withheld love, warmth, and affection unless the child saw the world from the parent's perspective. And I have a memory that I'd like to share, uh, one that I think illustrates this dynamic. I can vividly recall going to the public swimming pool with my mom when I was about seven or eight years old. This pool had a high dive, and my mom was afraid of heights. She wanted me to go off the high dive, and I happily agreed. I wanted to impress her, to show her how brave I was. So I started up the ladder, but very quickly I discovered that I too was afraid of heights, and I froze. Eventually, I climbed back down, uh, only to be met with what I think is the coldest reception that I'd ever felt. She was furious. She demanded that I march my butt right back over to the high dive and that I jump off. And I tried. I tried again and again and again. The whole afternoon became about her insistence that I jump off the high dive, that I do something that she herself was too afraid to do. She didn't seem to grasp the hypocrisy. I could feel that she just couldn't tolerate my fear. And the message that I I received, loud and clear, was that this version of me was not lovable to her. I can remember feeling so alone. I had no ally. The other kids were impatient because I kept climbing up and down the ladder and the lifeguard kept telling me to just jump already. And my mom was treating me like a nuisance, someone who wasn't hers, whenever I'd go back and beg her to just let me swim in the regular pool. Now, funny enough, I can't actually recall whether or not I finally jumped. I think I might have, but then again, I can also sort of remember feeling defeated and ashamed on the way home, so maybe I didn't. But I don't think it matters whether or not I jumped. The lesson that I learned that day was that I needed to be a certain version of a little boy 
to find love and warmth and acceptance. There was no, you know, hey kiddo, it's okay, you're just afraid, I'm afraid too, let's go get some ice cream, or don't worry about it, we'll deal with it another time. There was no comfort, there was no refuge, only pressure. When these sorts of experiences predominate in a person's life, it encourages the development of a protective false self. Essentially, the child learns uh, that only a specific version of the self is lovable. The parts of the self that are afraid, hurt, or emotionally needy, or inconvenient for the parent must be driven underground in order to win being loved and accepted. And psychoanalyst and author Alice Miller wrote about this extensively. In her essay titled Depression and Grandiosity as Related Forms of Narcissistic Disturbances, she writes, The childhood trauma is repeated. The child is always the child his mother admires. But at the same time, he senses that so long as it's his qualities which are being admired, he's not really loved for the person he is at any given time. Dangerously close to pride in the child, shame is concealed, lest he should fail to fulfill the expectations. Miller discusses the transient, hollow quality of what she calls the metal of the false self. The false self is developed to win the parent's love and acceptance, but it's a tin metal at best, because the love that's won isn't real. It's forever contingent on the child's continued performance of the qualities that the parent admires. Otto Kernberg also points to the common histories among narcissistic patients of callous or cold treatment at the hands of their parents, combined with overvaluation of the child for one or more favored qualities. Winnicott, too, discusses a similar theme. Uh, he notes that the, the parent uh, substitutes the child's spontaneous gesture for that of the parent. And this was the basis for Winnicott's theories concerning the false self. He perceived this sort of parental intrusion on the infant's spontaneous reverie to be a form of relational trauma that, over time, cuts the developing child off from connection to their emotional authenticity. He described what he considers to be the ideal parent-infant dyad, in which the caregiver actively facilitates something that he called going on being. The child must first learn to connect completely with the feelings and sensations that arise from within. Um, children who are prevented or discouraged from connecting to that authentic wellspring of joy and vitality and pain and sorrow uh, that's inside of them end up living a deadened existence, one in which they struggle continuously to find anything in life that feels like it's real, like it's theirs. He called this the false self, and he viewed it as a tragedy, a way of being in the world filled with the pain of inauthentic living, the person strives over and over to be a version of the self that will, quote, merit love, only to find that they never actually feel loved. They try to be beautiful or shiny or perfect or impressive, only to always feel essentially invisible and hungry for the experience of going on being that they were denied. Stephen Johnson uh, is a contemporary psychologist and author he wrote a fantastic book called Humanizing the Narcissistic Style. And echoing Winnicott and Kernberg and Miller, Johnson describes narcissistic injury 
uh, as the caregiver's need for the individual to be something other than who or what he or she really is. He writes that the child, uh, dependent and vulnerable, will then deny his real self in order to hold on to the mother. Living up to her idealized expectations and ministering to her narcissistic needs, the child denies and loses his authentic self. He invests in the idealized false self, trying through it to regain what he lost, which is the love and respect echoing and mirroring which were required for him to discover, accept, and love his true self in the first place. Now, much of this literature unfairly focuses on mothers, uh, and when I teach these concepts, I make it a point to say that we aren't specifically talking about mothers here. We're talking about caregivers, and that can include grandfathers or uncles, aunts, fathers, older siblings, adoptive parents, and also mothers. The point isn't so much who encouraged the development of a protective false self, but rather that someone did, and that that set in motion a lifelong battle between shame and grandiosity. So when working with these issues in treatment, the narcissistic patient must eventually realize that healing involves grieving a life not lived. They've existed as a false self, an attempt to be someone they are not, in some ways, they may not have ever really lived at all. In a famous essay, Winnicott discusses a patient who he sadly could not save. He wonders if this patient, uh, who tragically killed herself, he, he wonders if this patient was trying to express in the therapy a psychological reality that in some way she had already died, that in fact she died in early infancy. He writes that he understood only too late that this patient lived with the emotional reality that she had, in fact, been killed emotionally as a baby. Grieving the loss of the true self can be so painful that many people spend their lives laboring under the demands of a protective false self, convinced that the final act of excellence or superiority is right around the corner, and that they'll finally be able to feel like a real, lovable person. Now, ironically, the only way to find that authenticity is through grief. When someone has lived their life as a false self, reconnecting with their authenticity means finding what's real inside. And often, grief is the one emotion that can most connect them to that child who was lost or buried, or killed so many years before. Now, when I share Winnicott's story with students, they often don't really know what to make of it. How could it be helpful to a patient to tell them that in some crucial way, they've already died? But eventually, the students realize that we must follow where the patient leads. And often, with narcissistic patients, that is toward the terrible realization that they too somehow in an important way, died as a baby. And by that I mean they never really lived. They were cut off from their own self, their own feelings, forced to substitute a falsehood for the truth, to play a role instead of experiencing love. And this early death must be acknowledged before it can be grieved. And it must be grieved before they can begin to live. 
Now, if you recognize your own experience in what I'm saying here today, please know that it is possible to heal. It's possible to do this work and to resuscitate that part of you that got lost or abandoned or maybe even killed so long ago. We can't go back in time. We can't undo the past. The only path is forward, but as long as you're breathing, there's always a chance to begin to live. And also, none of this is easy. So find a therapist who can walk this difficult path with you, who can see the protective false self for what it actually is. And that's a child's attempt to be good enough to deserve love. Okay. Well, until next time, take good care.